another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing welcome to another episode of and another thing the podcast that continues to set records around the world and then as we always do we go and break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And Tony, I got to tell you right off the top, before we get to our guests, yes. before we thank our sponsors, maybe we'll get to this at the end of the show as well, but I just got to let you know my headspace right now, the announcement that came earlier today from Doug Ford yes. in the province of Ontario, another lockdown, three young ones at home. I'm reeling, man. Like I might, I might be leaning on you to do a lot of this show <laughs> or the flip side is there is going to be some inner anger channeled somewhere tonight so there's a, there's a lot of parents uh, who are in the same boat as you i know uh, who are feeling the strain of this so we're all feeling the strain this is not a this is not a good time and uh uh i don't know what to say i i'm i'm sad <laughs> i'm sad that we're here too but uh hopefully it's not for too long and last thing i'll say on this but it is it is timely because i remember making a joke on facebook probably about six to eight months ago that was like, you know, as Canadians, we're so polite yeah. that we'll be like, okay, we'll do another lockdown, but this is the last one. This is the last one. <laughs> and then we'll go with another one. It's like, okay, okay one more, but that's it. That's that it. is it. You know? And we're, we are like that. I, I, it's hilarious. And it's, uh, you know, it's fine. I'm, I, I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm doing it. Two weeks, I'll give it to you, but that's it. And I'm done. That's and it. If they came again, it'd probably be, okay, fine, we'll do it. Well, you know, the two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got to thank uh, the team at Municipal Solutions, John Mutton and the crew. Of course, our presenting sponsor of this show does not happen without the work that they do and the support that they give us. So thanks to MunicipalSolutions.ca. And Tony, I know you'll be able to expand a little bit more on them and also thank some of our other sponsors as well. Yeah, I know. We definitely want to thank John. He's been such a great uh, friend of the show and sponsor. He he now, uh, whenever he uh, talks to me, he says, you know, we're, we're, we continue to break records. So <laughs> he's got all the nomenclature down there. Uh, but of course, he's available for development services, project management in the municipal sector. Uh, that means if you have an, uh, if you need an approval for a development, I know he's working on a big development right now in Kawartha Downs, and uh, he's spending a lot of time on that. Uh, the team is, but uh, he still has time for new clients. And uh, so, if you need that development approved, or you need that permit expedited. If you have some planning services that you need to be done with municipalities, uh, engineering services, architectural services, if you need a minor variance approved or land severance approved, or indeed a building permit approved, go to municipalsolutions.ca. And then, of course, we've got Trevor Townsend. He is a senior VP and an investment advisor at Canaccord Genuity Corporation. And for the past 25 years, Trevor has successfully built an investment advisory practice. He provides counsel to affluent uh, investors and private corporations in the public markets. He also offers strategic investment planning and wealth management for business owners, for executives, for management professionals, for retirees, and for affluent investors. And he prides himself on providing a holistic approach to his advice. You can find Trevor at trevortownsend.com. 
Ca. And finally, our, our pal Stephen J. Sparling at Halton GR. This is a municipal lobbying firm that represents the development industry clients in the GTA West, including Etobicoke, Mississauga, and Oakville. You can find Stephen and the gang at haltongr.com. And last but not least, uh, looneypolitics.com, an excellent, excellent news aggregate site. Uh, we provide exclusive uh, audio content to that site. Uh, you can use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription and you'll hear shows that you, you cannot hear anywhere else. You won't, uh, you gotta be a subscriber. So check that out. Looneypolitics.com. We're proud to continue that relationship with Robert and his team over at looneypolitics.com. Um, okay. I'm excited for our guest yeah. tonight. I think this is going to be a good one because, you know, Tony, we've been accused before, believe it or not, We've been accused of only having like conservative minded or, you know, people from what people would deem the right side of the political spectrum on the show. I'm not, sure, too Char- I'm not sure Charlie Angus would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So other than other than that right winger, Charlie Angus, um, no, but but, you know, you know, it. They, people say that all the time yeah. to us. Um, I know that's not true because we have we have a myriad of guests that represent all views. And and quite frankly, um you know, I, I would even, ch- I mean, yeah, we can talk about that and the partisan label thing. And I think tonight's guest will be excellent to, to talk about that. But yeah, why don't you introduce him? Uh, this is exciting. Um, it's a name that when you told me was coming on the show, I instantly thought of some some political stuff when I, I was much younger. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I know that name. And then yeah. that's how I, I, anyway, we'll chat about that. But I'm excited for this one. Yeah, no, uh, thanks, Jody. And without further ado, we want to welcome the Honorable Alan Rock to the And Another Thing podcast. Uh, Alan is the president emeritus at the University of Ottawa these days. Uh, he He's a professor at the UO uh, in the Faculty of Law. Before that, of course, he was a member of parliament for Etobicoke Centre from 1993 to 2004. He was the Minister of Justice, the Minister of Health under uh, Prime Minister Chrétien. And he, uh, after he left... Uh, politics, he was appointed to be ambassador to the United Nations for Canada from 2004 to 2006. But of course, his primary Jody claim to fame is he taught me civil procedure for my 1988 bar exam. Is that not, is that not true, Alan Rock? That's the truth. And by the way, how did you, how did you do in the exam, Tony? I passed. I passed. <laughs> I, but I will give you this compliment because during those days, Jody, when we were doing the bar exam, the rule of thumb was you either attended all of the classes and didn't read the material or you read the material and didn't need to attend all the classes. And so I opted to read the material and... Um, uh, I took fencing lessons during my bar admission course uh, <laughs> as a little thing to do. I, I honest to God, I took fencing lessons, but I did attend Alan Rock's uh, class because uh, I knew that him and uh, Ron Rolls, it was the Rock and Rolls class, uh, right. were were teaching amazing uh, civil procedure. So uh, thank you for that, uh, and uh, and th- thank you for the profession that I'm uh, that I'm no longer practicing. Uh, I, I certainly don't pay any uh, any errors and emissions insurance so everybody's safe is what i'm trying to say so there you go but welcome to the program well thank you no questions tonight about uh, originating process or no uh, examinations for discovery 
No, we'll put that aside. No, we will put that aside. So I'm going to, first of all, Happy New Year to you. And uh, of course, we, we were saying off the top about the, the latest restrictions in Ontario. But uh, I, I do like to ask this from time and again, uh, you know, how is your family doing uh, during these uh, crazy COVID times? Well, thank goodness everybody's fine. I mean, like like yours, I'm sure, and Jody's, you know, we're um, we're bearing down. It's not easy. We're we're going to get through this, but uh, it's tiresome. It's irksome, mm-hmm. and especially for Jody's generation who have kids at home uh, who are going to who are going to be at home now for the balance of the month. Uh, it must be very challenging, and my heart goes out to those families who are struggling to make arrangements to keep their job going, look after the kids, make sure they do their online learning. It's a very challenging time. And quite apart from the um, the risk to our health, we have to worry about, uh, you know, just keeping the whole family operation uh, going in the right direction. Yeah. So it's very challenging. It really you, is. I, I got to ask you this because I'm a, as you know, we share this uh this link that we are both former federal ministers of health. Yes. And, you know, people ask me all the time, uh, boy, you know, first of all, most of them say, boy, I bet you're glad you're not there. And that's probably true because the pressure to get it right and uh, all of the conflicting advice and so on must be just unbelievable. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you may feel this way or, or, you, or you're free to disagree. But there are times when I when I say to myself, I would have handled that a little bit differently. And of course, I had the experience uh, with the SARS outbreak and Anne McClellan was the federal health minister. I was the Ontario health minister. This is back in 2003. But do you do you get those uh, little spider sense tingles that maybe uh, things might be uh, a little bit off the rails or how, how you how are you handling it, I guess, as a former health minister? Well, I think all of us who have held cabinet positions in the past, as we live our lives and watch what's going on, we cannot help but think, uh, how would I have managed that or how would it feel to face that challenge? And and COVID is no different. Uh, I have to say, just right off the bat, I have a lot of sympathy for governments, all governments of all stripes. These are unprecedented times. Uh, the virus is unpredictable and treacherous. Um, and I think the safest course is to follow the science. And that's easy to say, but yeah. when it rubs when it rubs up against political decisions like whether to shut down businesses or shut down schools that have enormous potential consequences politically, it becomes enormously uh, hard. And so, uh, yeah, there are things I think I would have done differently, but on on the whole, um, I'm very, very sympathetic to government and the, what, what the, the pressures that they're trying to manage and um, the very uncertain times that they're trying to get us through. So, uh, uh, in a way, I'm glad I'm not there. But, you know, I don't know about you, Tony, but I really enjoyed public life. I enjoyed the privilege of being in cabinet. I enjoyed being at the table, being part mm-hmm. of those discussions. And uh, so um, I, I, in a way, I miss it as well. And it's exciting to think of being part of a tumultuous, difficult, historic period like this. Yeah, and uh, of course, I get that question too, Alan, uh, do you miss it? And um, my trite response, but I think accurate is, I, I miss the good things about politics, but I don't miss the bad things about politics. So I think that there's yeah. some truth to that. Well, I, 
I miss I miss I miss being in government. I'm not sure I miss politics, but I miss being mm-hmm. in government. I miss being, um, you know, as I say, at the table and part of the big decisions. And but look, we're lucky to have had the experience. We're very very privileged, and um, we're better for it. I think. I'm going to wind the clock back a little bit now, and uh, and our guest um, has had a a fascinating life in public life, uh, but also. Uh, there's a little bit of a backstory uh, that you've probably told a million times, and I, I do apologize that we're going to dredge it all up again. But, uh, but the original notion, the, the, the reason you came to my mind was because I was uh, waxing poetic about the Beatles Get Back documentary from Peter Jackson. And um, you had an encounter with John Lennon and Yoko Ono in Montreal in June of 1969. So I'd, I'd love for you to, to take us through that experience a little bit. Well, in Montreal and in Ottawa, uh, yes. in, in June of 69, I was uh, finishing my first year of law school, and I had just been elected president of the uh, Students Association at the University of Ottawa, um, politically invi- inclined even then, Tony. But anyway, it was the month of, uh, it was late May, early June, and it was very quiet on campus. Everybody had gone home. And so the student government was looking for something to do. Uh, we'd read that Lennon and Yoko Ono uh, were in Montreal doing their bed in for peace. And we thought how wonderful it would be to attract them somehow to Ottawa and, and more specifically to the university. So we um, first had to get in touch with them. And I spent the better part of a day on the phone trying to get through to the uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth Hotel and speak to somebody in the entourage, which, as you would imagine, was very difficult. Um, There were thousands of people clamoring to speak with him, to see him. But after a lot of trying, I eventually got to speak with a man named Derek Taylor, who was uh, one of the publicists for the Beatles at the time and was traveling with John Lennon. And... I told Derek Taylor I wanted to see John Lennon because we at the university intended to have a world conference on global peace. Mm. I mean, that's the reason that John Lennon was doing the bed-in, was for peace. Yeah, and And just for our audience's sake, a bed-in is basically a a kind of a protest. Yeah, he and and Yoko were in bed in in their pajamas all day and all night and holding forth and holding court, receiving people. The uh, Anyway, I, I told Derek Taylor that we wanted to have John come to campus for this conference. And I said we also intended to invite Pierre Trudeau, who then was our fairly new and young and dashing prime minister. That attracted his attention. And after a while, he called back and he said, I want you to come to Montreal and speak to John about this, which I did. I trundled on down to Montreal, went to the suite, um, met with Lennon and Yoko Ono and explained the concept, which they were quite attracted to. And they wanted to know some details, and um, I I provided them. And they said, all right, let's do it. So we fixed a date um, a few days hence, and I went back to Ottawa to make the arrangements. But the problem, of course, my problem, is that there was no such thing as a global conference on world peace. <laughs> there was no structure, no 
no personnel, no nothing. It just didn't exist. So we had, um, on very short notice, to put something together. I immediately wrote to Prime Minister Trudeau to ask him whether he'd come. And I still had the letter that I got back from a man named Ivan Head, who was one of his advisors, saying that unfortunately the PM was going to be out of town and not able to attend. Um, anyway, we cobbled together a panel. Uh, I told Derek Taylor that the Prime Minister was not going to be taking part. John Lennon agreed to come anyway. And they came to Ottawa on the appointed day, and we had a fabulous time. I mean, it, it turned into a, a sort of a very raucous news conference with Lennon holding forth, taking questions from students and from the media. It was really fabulous. It was unruly. It was noisy. It was funny. And um, I think everybody had a wonderful time. But at the end of it, at the end of the afternoon, um, John and Yoko had to have dinner. So we organized a little dinner for them. And then he told me he wanted to see some of the city while he was in Ottawa. It's the capital of the country. So mm -hmm. um, I had a little Volkswagen at the time. I put John and Yoko in the back of my Volkswagen. And mm -hmm. my friend Tom Mori and I were in the front. And we drove them around the city. We drove them to Parliament Hill, to the Supreme Court of Canada, up to Champlain, the the, um, the lookout uh, yep. near the uh, art gallery. And then we went to 24 Sussex Drive to see if the PM was there. And at the time, there was very little security. You could drive right into the circular driveway around 24. We went up to the door and... Um, I still have a picture of John. Uh, a, a housekeeper came to the door and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Trudeau's not in. But I still have a photo of John leaning up against the door at 24 Sussex, wow. writing a note to Pierre Trudeau. He wrote that note, and of course, six months later, he came back to Ottawa to meet with the PM in his office on Parliament Hill. So I like to take credit for having yeah. put the two of them together. But the reason why that documentary was so meaningful to me, or one of the reasons... The song that they were working on all of that time, or the principal song, was Get Back. And mm -hmm. as we were driving along in my little Volkswagen on that night, that song came on my tinny radio. Mm. And I heard a voice from the back of the car saying, turn it up, which I did. Seriously. And there I was, there I was singing along with John Lennon to get back to where you once belonged. And this, of course, is just a few months after the events that are pictured in that documentary. So mm -hmm. I, I loved every minute of, uh, of, of Jackson's documentary. I mean, some people found it tedious because it went on for so long. But to me, it was like watching a process of creation, yeah. uh, which itself was fascinating. But it was also um, a very interesting portrait of the personalities of the four Beatles, how they interacted with each other. And it was also a reflection of a period in time that was very meaningful to me. I mean, I'm, I'm 74 years old. I was born in 1947. I, I grew up in the 60s, essentially. And I know that decade is often mocked these days, but it was a tumultuous time. It was a, a, a tragic and a triumphant time. It was a decade of discovery for me. It was, it was remarkable and, and vivid and memorable. So watching all this happen... Um, in 1969, in, in, in that documentary, was remarkable. And um, I, you know, I want really... to delve into it a little bit because uh, yeah. I, I've seen it twice now. Uh, Jody is probably shaking his head now. He's he's tried and <laughs> failed to get into it. Uh, but uh, but uh, I I want I saw it. I saw the eight hours. Then I 
I went back to it with my mother uh, who hadn't seen it and uh, saw it through her eyes a little bit. And uh, there's a, this, I mean, we can go a million ways on this, but a couple of things really stand out for me. First of all, I think Yoko Ono comes off a lot better than the <laughs> terrible media that she was getting at the time. People don't realize, I mean, people were accusing her of breaking up the Beatles and being a terrible influence on John and all this. And she was a very benign influence uh, in the, uh, you know, in the studio uh, I'm told that she she was just getting over um, uh, a uh, you know she'd lost a baby so she she yeah. uh, so so John wanted her there because he didn't want her to be alone and he yeah. had talked about yeah. it with the other Beatles and they they totally agreed and said yes absolutely she should be there you should be there mm-hmm. for her and and uh, and you know she was there doing the crossword puzzle or reading a book or whatever. Um, so I, I, that's the first thing that I wanted to say. I'd love to hear your comments on that. And second thing is, it was so amazing uh, to see John Lennon laugh and smile, and you got examples of his wit, uh, which you know could be rapier sharp, but it was you know hilariously funny at the same time. So I'd love you to to give your impressions. Well, I fully agree about Yoko Ono. I mean, I think she gets a bad rap. Um, Paul McCartney himself is quoted as saying. It's a joke to think that the Beatles broke up because Yoko Ono was sitting there on an amp during our recording session. Mm-hmm. It's silly. Um, you know, she was not the uh, sort of evil presence that people like to suggest. And certainly from my dealings with her, she was enormously pleasant. Uh, she she brought with her to Ottawa uh, her daughter, who I think was four years old, named Kyoko. Mm-hmm. My younger sister Joyce was deputized to look after Kyoko during the uh, during the news conference and the evening. Um, but Yoko Ono herself was very kind, very personable, very um, attentive to other people, and um, and yeah, we saw a lot of John Lennon's wit uh, during the news conference. He parried questions and and uh, shot back, and uh, he was very funny. Uh, and irreverent, and just as you'd imagine. So, yeah, it was fun to watch. And the other thing I thought was very interesting, Tony, was that, you know, at a certain point in the creative process, the Beatles seemed to be a bit stuck. They There, were, there was some degree of friction among them. There was some degree of... Uh, th- their efforts sort of stalled until Billy Preston came along. Yes. And <laughs> having, having Billy Preston there... On the piano, just, I don't know, it lent a certain different dynamic that got them off square one and really got them into motion. And uh, I thought that was an interesting dynamic, didn't you? Yeah, I thought so. I thought that they had to behave better around Billy Preston. There was yeah. a, a reference to, uh, you know, there was a remembrance from uh, John and Paul about seeing Billy Preston at the Cavern Club, I think, when he was... Uh, he was opening for some other entertainer. And so they knew him from way back at the beginning of their time as the Beatles. And uh, they were full of, you know, awe over him. And so have him there. And of course, you you saw it too. He sat down at a keyboard and, and would listen to a song for a half minute and then get right into it. Uh, he didn't need a lot of instructions. So it's fabulous. Uh, yeah. yeah, just a fabulous, fabulous uh, 
keyboardist. And um, yeah, it really got them. I think that and switching over to the Apple studio from Twickenham studio where they were before that, that big, large uh, mm-hmm. space uh, was, was all of that were, was part of the, the, the unlocking of the creative process, but you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, one of the big moments and everybody said, this is not, this is not uh, new to say this, but to see Paul McCartney sit down and start doing the first few chords of get back. And then, you know, Ringo starts to pay attention and then George starts to play along. And then John comes on the scene, he starts to play. And then all, all of a sudden you've got a song. Uh, that yeah. that to me was unbelievable. And when they went to the roof and performed it, yes, um, they were so tight as a band. They knew each other so well, and they were all so musical. Um, it was uh, it was wonderful to watch. And of course, the very track that they recorded on the roof is the one that got into their 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 album. So you know, it was uh, it was an amazing performance and. Um, so I, so I love the documentary. I may watch it again. I, I yeah, don't know. It's, well, I'd encourage you. I, I learned a lot the second time. The th- the one thing, uh, another thing about the uh, rooftop performance, and this goes back to the more general discussion that we were having about the 1960s, was when they were doing the street interviews, uh, and mm-hmm. they were asking older people, what do you think of the Beatles? And these older people, I mean, they were not part of the Beatles generation. Oh, they're very nice. Oh, they're, they've got some great talent. You know, there was no, there was no divide. Uh, you know, do, you know, the only people that were upset were a couple of business owners and then the constabulary who had to, those poor, poor guys who sent in to break up the, uh, the rooftop performance. But, but I didn't see any, it was not as if, if you had gray hair, you were automatically condemning the Beatles, right? Well, that's what happened in the 60s. In uh, February of 64, when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, um, young people, of course, were just nuts about them because of the sound, the rhythm, the the novelty. Older people were highly skeptical, especially with all the screaming, very critical, sort of standoffish. But as 64 became 65 and 66 and 68 and people began to hear their harmonies and the inventiveness of their music and and saw the impact of their music it, they their appeal crossed all generations my parents began to be real fans of the beatles mm-hmm. and that wasn't true of all the groups in the british invasion but it certainly was of the beatles and I think uh, in all generations, there was genuine admiration for their talent and and their personalities. They were mm-hmm. just remarkable people. Now, I uh, at the risk of poor Jody <laughs> hasn't seen the hasn't seen the documentary. Do you want to add anything at this point, Jodes, or are you okay? No, no, I just enjoy listening to you guys <laughs> commiserate over that, and you know, go back in the old memory banks and. What time was? Did they have electricity back then? Or? <laughs> no, they were writing the songs with a chisel, Jody. That's, that's Alan, I got to be honest, and Tony and I have talked about this. So the Beatles are not my thing. I respect. I've just never been into them. I and I still am not into them, but I I can appreciate what they do in, in the world of music. I can't take that away from them. But I've literally have tried three times to watch that documentary, <laughs> and I get about ten minutes in, and I. I'm done. Like, so I, I've, I've only watched about half an hour and I can't even, I just can't even watch it. 
Well, all, all we can hope is that the time you're spending listening to us will make up for that in some way. Well, I, feel, I feel like I've, but it's it's funny. We have a, a gentleman here in our community named Andy Forgy. He was a huge Beatles fan. He's a musician, amazing guy. Um, he's a you know professional musician and played in some bands and has some pretty big bands in, in Canada. But like he he says the same. Everybody that I know that loves that that doc says the exact same thing watching the creative process, seeing how they interact. It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, it was like a, it was like they were four older brothers is how Andy puts it. Like, and he was able to, he grew up with them. Right. So it's just, right. I hear, I hear the same things coming out of you as well. And, and Tony, I, I know Tony, like we should all just get together and watch it at Tony's place or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, Alan and I will do the color commentary. Exactly. And, and only if your mother comes along, Tony. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want, I want to, I now want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, you had a uh, time as UN ambassador and I, I do want to just ask a question about that because uh, you know, obviously one of the things that is going on right now is international efforts uh, for public health, international efforts for climate change, and yet you've got, you know, you've got America and China squaring off increasingly uh, with, a, you know, a, com- a competition for influence over the world. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, you were, you were the, basically our top diplomat at the United Nations uh, and had to deal with all of these competing interests and powers. So any thoughts on where we are on that? I think uh, even uh, even though it's not very long ago, the period that I spent at the UN, the world was in better shape than it is today. In the period 2003, 4, 5, 6, um, Russia was not as, as belligerent as it is today, and China, which m- was much less um, aggressive in its stance. And there were many occasions when the Security Council was able to reach consensus on important international issues. And Canada brought forward proposals, some of which were highly controversial, but ended up getting unanimous support, like the responsibility to protect in cases of genocide. So I think the world was a bit simpler then, still very complicated, but not as um, not as divided and bitterly divided as it is today. Um, you're right in saying that, you know, that COVID is a global challenge. Climate change, obviously, cannot be solved without or, or addressed without everybody working together. Um, on the question of climate change, I think China is perhaps less problematic than on other issues. I think China quite understands it's in its own interest to to go along with a global consensus on on means that will mitigate the consequences of climate change. On COVID, I hope it's becoming clear that unless there's equity of access to vaccines, we're going to face new variants on a regular basis. And it might be Omicron this year, but it'll be something else next year. We'll be right back to square one. So we have to we have to um, address the issue of equity of access to vaccines. Otherwise, the global south is going to is going to continue churning out variants that are going to be the, you know, going to just stymie all of our efforts to bring this to an end. Um, I'm very concerned, as I know you are, Tony, about um, the contest between China and the West for for dominance. I'm very concerned about the United States and what mm-hmm. might happen there over the next couple of years. The 
the midterms in November and then the presidential election in, in 24. As you know, there's a lot of worry about mm-hmm. the emergence of authoritarianism and um, the question of democracy in America, whether it can survive. And if it doesn't, what's going to happen? Is there going to be is there going to be a clash between the ideologies in the United States? And what are the implications of that for Canada? We're sitting right, right beside them. So it's a difficult world. And I know that Bob Ray has his hands full at, at the United Nations. Um, it's not easy uh, trying to find consensus among the big powers. And, of course, the Security Council, for the most part, has become dysfunctional um, right, and, right. and unresponsive. I was astonished today at the news that the Permanent Five had issued a statement agreeing that nuclear war is unwinnable and that every effort will be made to avoid uh, it ever happening. So that was that was a rare and very welcome point of agreement mm-hmm. among the P5, but uh, it's not uh, not the usual way things happen. So it's a tough world. The UN itself, I think, has lacked effective leadership the last uh, 10, 15 years. I thought Ban Ki-moon was extremely disappointing, mm-hmm. and I'm also mm-hmm. disappointed in the current Secretary General and his lack of uh, vision, lack of leadership. Um, and so... Yeah, it's a tough time. And uh, do, do you think uh, do you think Canada is too um, either complacent or naive in these international settings? I I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think we're fully aware of mm-hmm. the cynical nature of global geopolitics. I think the challenge for us is to pick our spots, mm-hmm. find issues, find openings for what we do best, which is to um, identify solutions to intractable problems and then try to bring people together uh, to a consensus. Canada, as you know, is a member of every almost every club mm-hmm. in the world, uh, Commonwealth and APEC and NATO, and we belong to, the, to them all. And we use our influence in those organizations to bring people together, to look for common ground, to marshal the support of like-minded countries wherever we can find them. Um, And we do that very well. So I don't think we're complacent or naive. I think that uh, we're aware of the limitations of our size. We're we're, we're a a moderate power. We're not a big power. Um, But we're also, I think, conscious of what we can achieve and um, the trick is to identify those openings and then to, to work very, very carefully uh, to make the most of them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's wise words there. Alan Rock, uh, we're conscious of your time. This has been uh, great to spend a half an hour with you and talk about the past, the present, and the future, really. So uh, we wish you well, and thanks for sharing. Well, it's been my pleasure, Tony and Jody. It's great to speak with you, and I wish you well. And as you said, Happy New Year. I hope 2022 is better than the last year. And uh, all the best to you and your families. Wow, talk about tons of different topics in a conversation. But that was yeah. that was fun just to listen. Like, literally, I I mean, I, I was just sitting back and listening. I, I was very, that was enjoyable. Now, I, you know, it, it's true. We, we, we went from the, from the 60s and the Beatles to uh, the UN and power politics. So there you go. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, I didn't realize. So he's 74. He could be my dad. So yes. 
I, I wasn't going to say that to him on air. No, don't, 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 don't do that to our guests, Jody. <laughs> but uh, no, it was just, it was just cool to, uh, yeah, no, it was just cool to listen to him tell those stories. And it's funny, I was just looking up, uh, there was an article six days ago in the Globe and Mail where Alan Rock's name came up in the article. Mm-hmm. And it was actually about what he shared with John Lennon and Yoko Ono, because there is currently a art exhibit of Yoko Ono's at the Vancouver gallery of art or something like that. So uh, Alan rock got the mention in there because they were talking about how these art pieces all came together and, and John Lennon's uh, experiences with Canada and all this stuff. So, yeah, no, that that's a very special thing that uh, he got to be a part of because obviously John Lennon is such a hero to so many people still, you know, 50 years later. And, uh, and uh, I, I think it's just wonderful that he was able to, to share that, kind of intimate experience with us yeah that was that was wild so i think that's uh now if i was if i was <laughs> I, should, I should have said i was gonna say alan if you were uh any kind of exaggerator you would have said and and then i shared with john and the guys like this is the some of the lyrics for the songs and, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah made it sound like take some responsibility for those songs alan exactly yeah here's what milk i it. added milk yeah. it. no one no one can argue with you <laughs> He's, uh, you know, despite being a politician and we all have our, uh, our egos, he's quite a modest, a modest fellow. And, uh, yeah, but he has accomplished a, a lot in his, uh, public life. And, uh, he was, uh, you probably don't know this, but he was an accomplished, uh, uh, litigation lawyer. Uh, he was head of the law society in Ontario for a while. I mean, he's done a lot of different things, so uh, okay. more power to him. I got to say, too, just going back to the whole Doug Ford, Ontario restrictions yeah. thing, I quickly wanted to get that. I don't know if you noticed that. Did you watch the press conference, by the way? No, I okay. did not. No. Okay. So when I, I watched it, and the one thing that stuck stuck out to me was that at one point, Doug Ford said he was talking about how he has to make, he doesn't enjoy making the hard decisions and yada, yada, yada. But he said, literally, he goes, it took me all of about 30 seconds to make this decision. And I instantly thought, 30 seconds? I'm like... Well, what the heck happened two days ago when you had the minister or uh, the public Medical health minister where officer or whatever come out and say, this is what we're doing. We're pivoting. We're going in this direction. Like, And now you're telling me that it took you 30 seconds to bring in these restrictions and make that decision? Like, yeah, I, it doesn't add up. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I would have advised him differently on that. Yeah. I, I don't think that was the right way to frame it because this is a decision that is affecting the lives of uh, basically every Ontarian, all 15 million of us, and uh, particularly parents and uh, shop owners and so on. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I I understand the math. Like, Let's say if we were at 20,000 cases and 1% of those cases are uh, those COVID cases with Omicron, actually get you to a hospital that's a very small percentage but that's 200 new cases a day going yeah. to the hospital yeah. i understand that math yep yeah um, but, but i also look to the uk and their cases are diving now they, they, they're probably two or three weeks ahead of us uh and uh, they decided that the uh, their national health service can can manage so i guess my question to the politicians is and uh, this is to as much to kathleen Wynne as it is to doug ford is you know what have you been doing to make sure that our health care system is robust enough to deal with these kinds of emergencies now i guess the issue is and i'm seeing this everywhere too jody uh, i don't know whether you're seeing it where you are but people are not showing up for work 
because somebody in their family has contracted it. And so they're, they're isolating, yep. which is the right thing to do. And so there are, you know, there are businesses where tens of people, hundreds of people, uh, and, and also hospitals where they're just not showing up because they, they may have been exposed to COVID. So it's hopefully this kind of craziness is going to be over in a few weeks because that's what happened in South Africa. And that's what happened in the UK. Yeah. Well, we will be watching and, yeah, I want to believe it's going to be over by the end of January as well. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's frustrating for sure. So, yeah, and anyway. uh, I'm sure our listeners feel the same way and uh, they're they're going through it. So the best way to deal with it, I think, in terms of the mental wellness issue is to start ordering uh, and another thing, podcast merchandise. What do you yes, think? You can get those. We've we've had uh, a lot of interest. You can get the Young Tony collection. Yes. Um. So you can go to our, uh, you actually can go to zekeagency.com and get it shipped right to your house. And we'll have some more stuff coming up uh, pretty darn soon. But definitely go and check that out at zekeagency.com, a, a parent network that we are connected yeah. to. So. Yeah. <laughs> I should mention too, thanks to Josh, uh, Jordan and the crew at uh, MNC Podcast. Yeah, they've been great. Yeah, so they do a great job. So um, thanks to John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions, our presenting sponsor, municipalsolutions.ca. Also, big shout out to loonypolitics.com. Find exclusive content there. Become an annual subscriber by using the code podcast to get 50% off your subscription. And Tony, I'll let you wrap it up with... uh, some of our other supporters as well. Yeah, no, we, we definitely want to thank uh, Trevor Townsend at Canaccord Genuity Corporation. You can find him at trevortownsend.ca for uh, your uh, your counsel uh, on investments. And then we've got uh, Stephen Sparling at haltongr.com. If you've got some issues in the GTA West, he can help you out there. Excellent. Tony, we will do this again in seven days. Looking forward to it.